that song just kind of gets in there. I've been singing it all week. I've been dancing around, looking funny doing it. And it was a very good week, though. And uh, we had so many people involved in our... If you were involved in our VBS this last week, would you please stand up a minute? Let's uh, thank them, because it was a beautiful thing. We saw a few pictures earlier about that. Thank you, Lord, for all of those young people coming into this place and all the fun that we got to have together. So, But it was a lot of work. And uh, am I allowed to say that some of these little people... They bring so much life and energy, but a few of them are stinkers too, you know. So. And that's part of it. That's part of it. Well, we are continuing our series in John. We are in the 17th chapter of Jesus' prayer for our unity, his prayer for our protection. Um, just to kind of know what's coming, uh, our family is going on vacation uh, for a couple weeks this summer. So we have our brother Mike Duffield one of our preaching, teaching elders who's going to be uh, presenting for us coming up. And so uh, you get a little break from me. So that's probably good for, for you. And, uh, you know, as your preacher, I'm up here. I got to say a lot of words, you know, and I'm just, words are flying everywhere. So let, I'll let your ears rest for me for a couple of weeks. And then you get to listen to Mike. And then maybe you'll hear me in different ways when I come. I'll sound fresh. Maybe I'll be refreshed. So... We'll see what God does with all of that. So let's start in verse 6 of chapter 17. Oh, I also wanted to say, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're so grateful you're here. Welcome. Most welcome. John 17, 6 says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And this is actually, to me, a fascinating idea that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we're baptized into his name and we live a life of faithful service to him as his disciples, what this is saying is that you have become God the Father's gift to God the Son. We are God's gift to Jesus Christ. Uh, those who God has pulled out of the world, out of a system of rebellion against him, he gifts us back to Jesus. It's like, happy birthday, Jesus. Here are your disciples. And uh, these gifted ones are the ones that Jesus is praying for in John 17. And we prove ourselves as belonging to Jesus by obeying the word of God. You know, all of us have a completely free will. We can shake our fist at God. We can run from God. We can hide from him. We can say bad things about him for a time. Uh, But we have heard the word of God, and we have freely chosen to make him Lord. I hope that's a choice that everyone here will make. Uh, We choose love over hate. We choose humility over pride. We choose trust over rebellion. And even though I've chosen Jesus and continue to choose Jesus every day, as I look at the history of my life, I see that all is His grace to me. I chose it, but it is His gift as well. Now they have known that everything 
you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. And this is thrilling because not only do you and I have the potential of being God the Father's gift to God the Son, so also Jesus receives glory by our choice to make Him Lord in our lives. And have you ever thought about what, what is it that I can give to God? What do I, I mean, really, He has the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns your next breath. He has it all. What can I give to God? You becoming fully the person God wants you to be. Me becoming the Calvin He intends me to be. That's a treasure to God. It's also a treasure that's beyond the reach of thieves and moth and rust. It's even beyond the reach of death. When he says, uh, let me go back a sec. When he says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. You notice that in that verse there? All you have is yours and all you have is mine. It shows that God the Father and God the Son are in mutual submission to one another. They give everything freely to each other. Anything God has, Jesus has, and anything Jesus has, God has. And what is mind-blowing about this is the potential, at least, is there for you and I to be included in that as well. Our journey into the kingdom of God and His reign is us coming to a place where we can say in truth, in truth, not just lip service. We give lip service to this a lot of time. Everything I have belongs to God. Everything I have is yours, Lord. But when that becomes the true heartbeat of our lives, when Jesus has become our one and only, and we can say that, we move into a place of friendship, we move into a place of sonship, a place of daughtership, we begin to discover that everything that we have is God's, but we also discover progressively more and more what God has is made available to us. He's generous. Now, He doesn't give us so much. He's trying to form us in a way where we're safe to use His power. And that doesn't happen quickly or easily because uh, uh, the lessons that we have to learn, they take time. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. You see, remember uh, earlier in John, Jesus had already dev- uh, invited the disciples into the joy he was anticipating in returning to his Father. They're all worried about him leaving, they're thinking about themselves, and Jesus invites them to reframe that. Think about the joy I have getting to go be together 
completely with my Father again. And uh, he tells us also that it's for our benefit that he goes. Because when Jesus returns to God the Father, it opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come. And the absence of Jesus in the flesh is a problem for us. Because it does open disciples to the hostility of this world. The original disciples and we in turn have to face this world's hostility a lot of times. The world's temptations. And we do this without the help of an immediate physical presence of God there to protect us, to tell us what to do, to guide us. But Jesus' prayer for the protection of his disciples, God, I believe, answers through the sending of the Holy Spirit. It's for our benefit. We don't receive something less. We receive something more. Because God, through the Holy Spirit, is able to be with us simultaneously to help create unity. May they be one as we are one. I believe that the power of the name of God that protects us isn't a secret magic word, but it is the presence of the Holy Spirit himself. So the question for me is, how am I learning of the Holy Spirit? How is my life learning to submit to the Holy Spirit? Am I grieving the Holy Spirit? Am I quenching the Holy Spirit? Am I producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The unity of the Father and the Son, it includes the Holy Spirit. And at the same, it's this, this, this oneness of God that He invites us to participate in as disciples of Jesus and children of God. The exponential potential for our unity with one another is found in our journey into the triune heart of God that starts in this life and continues throughout all eternity. Again, this isn't just the unity that's being talked about here isn't putting up with so-and-so. Oh, I suppose i got to tolerate brother fussy britches over there and we all know what sister so-and-so, what she kind of whispers, and I guess I'll just kind of have to endure that. No, that's not what that's talking about here at all. This is our discovering one another on a mutual pilgrimage into the heart of God. Uh, last year, I think sometime, I, I gave an illustration from a 6th century month, a uh, 6th that's kind of a tongue twister. Sixth century monk named Dorotheos of Gaza. You probably recognize this picture. Yeah, not at all. No. <laughs> he said that stretching toward the center will bring us all closer to one another. This was a little teaching tool that he came up with where he says, imagine that the world is a circle and that God is the center and that the radii are different ways human beings live. When those who wish to come closer to God walk towards the center of the circle, they, came, they come closer to, the one, uh, to one another at the same time as to God. The closer they come to God, the closer they come to one another. And the closer they come to one another, the closer they come to God. It's a simple illustration, but I think it's wonderful. It's wonderful. 
And it speaks something about the possibility of unity that we have with each other. A unity that comes from moving closer to God. Our discovery of each other, of one another in the Holy Spirit, becomes a source of joy and strength for us. Unity. Uh, In the hidden music of John's Gospel, I believe that there is a correlation between our unity with each other and the protection that Jesus has just been praying for. As we move deeper and deeper into love with each other and into the power of the Holy Spirit, our protection grows. We're willing to stand up for one another. We're willing to support one another. We're willing to forgive one another. We're willing to say, I'm sorry to each other. Humility in our relationships. As that unity grows, that becomes strength for us. That becomes God's answer to Jesus' prayer for our protection. I think some of this sweetness is communicated of what unity is like in this old psalm written by the author of Psalm 133. He says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, they live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the beard, or poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. Aaron, the the first priest, Down upon the collar of his robes. So this blessing is so abundant, it just splashes everywhere. It is if as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, We had a definition of what is eternal life. It's to know God. We we talked about that some last week. Even in this place of knowing God, the unity that comes there. That is a blessing, even life forevermore, he says. Our unity is that place where God freely bestows blessing. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. And none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So our full measure of joy is tied to the things that Jesus said to his disciples while he was in the world. And this is, I think, illustrating something of the power of the Word of God. The things Jesus, the Word, said they have a life and a power all their own. Uh, And the constant fruit of the Word of God living in us, the result of that is joy. If the Word is inside of you, you have joy inside of you. In fact, I think this connection is so strong that if you end up doing the other way, if you step away from the Word you will discover that you've stepped away in some way from the joy of God. You need more joy in your life. Invest in the words of God. I have given you, or I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. 
For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. But that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. All right. So this idea, uh, well, I should probably unpack some of this stuff a little bit. Sanctify, you guys know that word? Maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. It's Christianese. We get to learn Christianese here in the church. So uh, what is sanctification? Sanctification is Christianese for that process of our being made holy. To be made holy means to set something apart for a special purpose, to hold a sacred instead of just one more thing among many mundane things. I like Dallas Willard's definition that he gave of this as this relates to humanity. Sanctification is not defined by external obedience, but by the kind of person one has become. It is living in right relationship to Jesus Christ, the Master, that brings and sustains right thoughts, feelings, choices, and habits, enabling one to do what is right. So what he's describing here is what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, where they go through the, the common beliefs of the time. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And the thing that Jesus always tells Where's your heart in this? You know, there are a lot of Christians who do their best to keep all the rules. And they do it from obligation. They do it from in a, in a way that it just it doesn't seem to have the joy of the Lord and the love of the Lord in it. And uh, there's a real problem with this. Uh, but when... Jesus becomes our one and only. Then it becomes real. I don't live a moral life. I don't keep a list of rules because they're in the Bible or because so-and-so said I should do this. I do it because I'm a son of God. And I love my Father. And I want to make my Father proud. And that kind of sanct that kind of being made holy like Jesus, the joy he has in obeying God, that joy can be ours as well. So then my thoughts, my feelings, my choices, my habits, when I cling to Jesus, I receive the mind of Jesus. I receive the heart of Jesus. I'm able to act like Jesus in the circumstances of my life. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, make them, holy, make them like me by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So I just want to pull our attention to a couple different phrases here. <clears throat> How are we sanctified? It's through the truth. Rubbing up against the truth. Walking in the truth. Submitting to the truth. 
But this truth that changes us, the truth that makes us holy, just isn't any truth. It's not subjective truth, which, by the way, really isn't truth at all. Truth is always objective. But faith, fake truth that we encounter, uh, it's spoken to us sometimes in our culture in a kind of passive-aggressive tone that says something like, that may be true for you, honey, but if you were really enlightened like me, that may be true for you, but that's not truth. That's fake truth. Truth is objective. Truth is reality. Jesus creates and sustains reality. He gets to define what truth is, and this is what he says is true. Your word, God, is true. The word of God is a reliable guide for us. In a culture of illusion, of distraction, smoke and mirrors, and lies, the word of God is given to us as something we can depend on. This is something we can bank on. This is a firm foundation. So what I think is described here in, in verse 16 and 17 is a process of God's discipleship in our lives. He makes us holy through the truth when we invest in it, when we search for it, when we try to hold on to it. He makes us holy. And he gives us, he tells us where to find the source of this truth. His word, the words of God. And what is the, what is the purpose of our becoming holy? It's not just so we can play harps on clouds or glow and float around. and So that we can serve one another so that we can be Christ to those around us. We can love. We can learn unity. In verse 19 it says, For them I sanctify myself, that I too, uh, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus is able to make himself holy. We cannot but one of the reasons that Jesus chooses a path of total trust and submission to the will of God the Father, it's his love for the Father primarily, uh, but this says that that sanctification also becomes our sanctification. The holiness of Jesus becomes our holiness. And again, you and I can't produce the holiness of God in and of ourselves, but we can accept Jesus' holiness. We can submit to Jesus' holiness. Well, why do we need the holiness of Jesus? You know, us human beings, we're complex. We can believe things in our head that have not reached our heart. We can say things that we want to be and do, and yet we fail to live up to those things. We are a mixture of the presence of God and the absence of God. There is light in us and there's darkness in us. There's truth and there's chaos. There's goodness and there's evil. There's openness, kind of openness expressed in the life of Jesus. And there's closeness. Uh, there's a, 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 a mentality of there's not enough to go around and the, the protect and I got to get those people out and and what's at stake here is our very freedom I think 
The holiness of Jesus creates the possibility for me to progressively root out and purge myself of darkness, chaos, evil, and closedness. I don't have to remain in the mess of my life as it currently is right now. That process of sanctification through the holiness of Jesus, it continues on. And we get healthier. We get stronger. We trust each other more. The possibilities of what we are, they open up. In Jesus, I'm emptied of darkness. I'm emptied of my selfishness. I'm liberated from the walls around my heart that separate from me that separate me from God. I'm liberated from the walls that I build that separate me from other people and even my own truest self. I found uh, this little cartoon on Facebook, and it's just a simple little cartoon. But <laughs> I don't know what's happening to me in my manhood, but this made me cry. <laughs> And it's just a little cartoon drawing. All the little lines that we draw. All the ways that we get fussy about and yell at other people. And, you know, just driving home the other day from VBS. This, this road rage episode of yelling and screaming of profanities. that I, All the little ways we step over each other's lines. All the ways that we draw lines that separate us from each other, that separate us from God, separate us from even ourselves. You know, a lot of times the truth is I feel like that frowning guy there. Because a lot of times I'm really not happy with the lines that I'm trying to draw. Jesus inviting me to erase inviting me into a place of greater openness with each other. You know, when Jesus invites us to unity, he is inviting us to something that's infinitely better than our perceived safety that comes with our isolation. And Jesus' prayer goes on. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the prayer that is for you and I here in our particular time, this particular building, this particular space. And this shows us two things. First of all, Jesus knew that the number of those who would put their faith in him would grow. This church is not going to just be limited to these original 12. It's going to explode like wildfire. Jesus knew that. I'm sure it was a source of great joy for him. But second, he also knew that we would have trouble getting along with one another, putting up with each other. Unity is hard for us. See, in a Western world, more than, you know, I lived in Africa for a long time as a missionary, and that's a very communal culture. The individualism that is so rampant in America and Canada, the Western world, parts of Europe, uh, that does not exist in that culture there. 
Um, and so we're very enamored of a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. And we do our best to keep that relationship exclusive. Me and Jesus, we've got this. I don't know what you all are doing, but I'm here with Jesus. And no doubt, in some ways, that is true, that we have intimate and private communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's a real possibility for us. But I had a friend, Trevor, from South Africa who would always say to me that, Calvin, you've got to remember, everywhere that Jesus goes, he takes his family with him. So not only is the relationship between the father and son supposed to be our model of unity, we also actually learn unity by being in contact with each other. We don't just pray for it. We don't just, it's not just some kind of spiritual feeling. It's in the whoop and chaos and ugliness and frustration of real people. Real people in this room. And as we learn to be united with each other, we find that we have entered into deeper streams of our relationship with God in new ways. Uh, to put this in a more blunt way, your fellow brother and sister in Christ that you are trying your best to avoid or just ignore or, Lord, you just got to take care of them. I mean, we have times where we have to step back and whatnot, but the Lord knows that. But relationships with them, with the, with the ones who are tricky, with the ones who are easy, with the people in this room, in the reality of our real lives, at some point, if you want to continue deeper in your relationship with the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you will only mature to a certain level until you learn true love for one another. And as you learn true love and community with each other, you'll find that you've moved closer to the center of the circle, that you've moved closer into the heart of God Himself. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. The oneness of God the Father and God the Son, it's glorious. And that's what we are invited into. Them. I in them and you are me, we are being invited into the very life and love of the Trinity. Just as there is a mysterious manying of God. You know, God fills every corner of the universe. He knows every activity in our lives, and it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. Just as there is a manying of God as he goes out to fill every corner of reality, so there is a mystery of the wanting of God. The wanting of God as he draws all of his beloveds deeper into the fullness of his love and into the fullness of his joy. Put a, think about it this way. Do you think, God, you think God is having a good time? Hey, who said that? Amen. I thought it might be disaster having children's Bible hour in here, but hey, 
All right, I got a, I got a yes. God is having a wonderful time. You know, I've read some theology books that if they were true, I think God might go to, out of existence, out of sheer boredom. But uh, God, he's not a cosmic stare. He's relational. And the desire of God is to draw us deeper into relationships with himself and deeper into relationships with each other. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What this means is that the fullness of our unity becomes our proclamation to the world. It is our missionary message to the world that Jesus was truly sent by God and that we have indeed received the love of God. And this is a proclamation because it is humanly impossible to produce this kind of brotherly love and unity. The kind of brotherly love and unity that Jesus holds out for us is a real possibility in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle produced in our fellowship. It's a miracle because God's love alone can get us there. God's love alone can keep us there. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Remember that in the hidden music of John, uh, words that keep coming up again and again are rich with meaning. And one of these words is that word glory. We've heard glory all, and I haven't really talked about it a whole lot, but glory has been there all along in John's gospel. So how do we define that? Well, I'm going to just run through a couple of verses. Uh, already in the very first verses of chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in chapter 2.11, we have talk of glory as well when Jesus performs His first miraculous sign. When Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast, John says, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. In chapter 8, verse 50, it says, I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And then chapter 13, just when Jesus, in chap, you remember the, the Last Supper scene, just as he's finished washing his disciples' feet, humbling himself and washing dirty feet, and just as Judas leaves into the night to betray him, goes out for the last time. It's in that moment that Jesus says these words. <coughs> now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son, of, uh, the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. So what do we learn about this glory in John? Well, I've, there's a couple things. There's a whole lot more than this, but this is just quick rundown. 
Glory is an attribute of God Himself. Glory is revealed through the signs and miracles that Jesus performs. The glory of Jesus is, in fact, the glory of God. And it reveals to us that Jesus is from God. And it's also in humility. This is the one we we run past all the time and we miss. It is also in the humility of Jesus that his glory is revealed. But that glory is a little more hidden. Glory is the magnificent outpouring of the radiant splendor of God's power, strength, beauty, and goodness. And as it relates to humanity, glory is a part of our original nature of a human being and all of God's creation. Human beings were created by God as very good. And thus, when our glory is revealed through strength, beauty, goodness, the image of God that is within us is revealed as well, I believe. The glory of God is ultimately revealed in Jesus through the humility of the crucifixion and the power of the resurrection. The humility of the crucifixion is humble glory, is hidden glory. And humble, hidden glory always gives way to spectacular fireworks kind of glory. Glory that is power, the resurrection. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So how does Jesus continue to make himself known to the world? It's through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit alive in his disciples. The disciples of Jesus are revealed to the world through our unity with one another. So this is the sermon. That unity is so beautiful. But I'm not trying to sugarcoat this because it's really hard. And in fact, it's impossible without God himself. The fullness of our unity in Christ will probably not be experienced in this life on earth unless Jesus returns, unless we experience that as a true miracle of God. But when we fail in the hard work of learning to love each other better, to that extent we fail in our proclamation of Jesus Christ as alive and living among us. So uh, to put this one last way, Unity is a hard thing for us, and it's hard if you don't understand where you're coming from. Where have you come from? Every person, every breath that you have, because you are here and you exist right now, it's because God wills it. And that's an important lesson for us to remember because a lot of us have made, been made to feel very unwelcome in this world through hard things said to us. Parents who've made us feel unwanted. Friends or siblings or even failures in the church sometimes make us feel like we weren't welcome. You are here because God wills it. That's not an accident, and that's not a mistake.
But if you don't understand that, unity is going to be very hard for you. And unity is also hard for us when we don't understand our purpose and why it is that we're here and what it is that we're supposed to be doing. If you are not involved in the mission of God, unity will be very difficult. I've seen this in a lot of churches. We get into fights about this, that doctrine. Church split. I remember the church split in, in Idaho that I was... Can we play instrumental music recorded on a tape at people's weddings outside of our regular worship? That is crazy. That is crazy. And when we get focused on things like that and we get off the mission that God has given us to serve and love, to be united with each other and to seek and save the lost, we descend into all kinds of madness. And unity will be very hard for us. And finally, if you don't understand where your destiny lies, where it is that you are going, who it is that you will face and see face to face. Unity will remain elusive because it's like we're fighting over all the scraps of pleasure and happiness that this world can give me right now because I don't know about that very clearly. So I've got to really contend for this. And we pour almost all of our energy and our resources into the here and now, drawing our lines. But if you understand the riches and the treasures of heaven that God wants to give you. You begin to see, wait, this is filthy rags. This is not the real treasure. When you understand that you belong to God and that everything you have is His and everything He has is yours, the way He says that of Jesus, you are not you're not having to fight for the scraps anymore. You trust that God is going to take care of you. And that allows you to be in this world in a different way. That unity becomes possible and it becomes easy in the sense that God is going to take care of everything. When you have that kind of trust, the miracle of unity provided through the Holy Spirit becomes available to us. So consider well, brothers and sisters, this prayer from John chapter 17. There's a lot of good things in there. And our Lord's desire is for us to experience oneness with each other. The way God the Son is united to God the Father, Lord Jesus, help us to be united like that. I don't know what needs you have this morning. Um, uh, to put on the Lord in baptism, uh, to receive the prayers of this church, uh, to come share something with us. Uh, we want to stand beside you. We, wanna, we want you to be here. We want you to help us learn how to be more united with each other. We want you to have a format and a place where you can share your gifts, where you can share your pain and your hurt. we got to learn how to do this better, brothers and sisters. And so you have an opportunity right now as we stand and sing to come forward